Brother Bill Walker was speaking a little while back at Brotherhood, and uh, I, I wrote some things down and, and didn't preach it to anybody. I, I actually, I preached it to Patty. Uh, probably, um, she gets everything, though. Uh, I preached it to her, and, uh, but Brother Bill, when he was speaking at Brotherhood, uh, actually, I think Brother Bill was coming out of Ephesians chapter 1 and was talking about a lot the last time he spoke. I've uh, been reading over a lot of folks' notes today and uh, looking at some things. But uh, I never preached it. I just held on to it because it's something that uh, uh, I think will help you share the gospel. And uh, all these little things, these like three circles, um, the three circles thing that you learn tomorrow, th- those things are not designed to be um, just only the gospel. It's just an easy way to share the gospel. Um, it's very simple. If you've not been trained in three circles, it's the most easiest thing I think in the world that even the kids, the way they've drawn it out, I've seen some kids in the way they've drawn it, uh, the three circles out, how simple it is to share the gospel. Um, used to, when I, was a, when I was first saved as a teenager, ours was really just bookmarks. Uh, before then, it was uh, what they called chick tracks. You know, if you ever knew what that was, uh, um, it was the, the one like, here's your life, and it was a little comic book style of thing where he died and God revealed his life to him and stuff. Um, sometimes, like Brother Adam and them, we have here at the church the gift, um, just simply sharing the gift, which is uh, Romans 6.23. You know, the, the gift is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. But sometimes we try to put these things together, and it's not because we think we're trying to reinvent the wheel. We're just trying to help people to share the gospel simple and easy. And something to where you can do on a whim. You can, you can hear these things or, or see these things. And some people I've learned through preaching is some people are very good at getting it here. But some people have to get it here. And between me and my wife, I can listen to you as you explain something. And I'm the kind of person that if you were to sit down and lay out a house and you walk through it, I, my brain works in the, in the uh, pattern of, I can see all the rooms that you're talking about. I can see that. Patty can't. She has to actually walk through it in order to see those things. And there's nothing wrong with that. Everybody is different. But I've learned to know that just because I know it one way and I can quote Scripture and I can take you through the Romans roadmap one after one after one after one, I can take you through the book of John chapter uh, all the way through chapter 10, understanding it and laying everything out that happened. Just because I can do that, I've learned that not everybody can. And not everybody has to be that way. And it shouldn't be intimidating to someone that someone can quote the scriptures like that. But some people learn it in a way where they see this visual and they can go, you know what, if I can see that visual, then that draws up the scripture in my mind and I can relate it to those things and it helps them out. Well, Brother Bill was preaching that day and I was writing some things down and writing a lot of notes. And when, I, when people are preaching or sharing, I try to write as much as I can and glean as much as I can and get what I need you know, the Lord speaking to me about. And then after we were finished, I sat there after our brotherhood and just drew out a little thing, and that's what your paper is tonight. And I want to kind of just walk through it real simple. Uh, simply. Look at verse number 33 of Acts chapter 4, verse 33. Acts chapter 4, verse 33 says, And with great power gave the apostles witness of the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and great grace was upon them all. The Bible says that they had great power in how they witnessed about the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. You know what? Isn't that what we want as soul winners of Jesus Christ? Is that we want the power. That great power, understand this, that great power was not in 
the apostles or in the disciples. It was not them themselves. It was actually the Holy Spirit of God. We know that the Bible says in Acts chapter number 1 and verse number 8 that it says that they would be endued with power, that they would be filled with the Holy Spirit of God, and they would be witnesses of the Lord Jesus Christ in Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria, and to the uttermost parts of the world. These apostles, these disciples right here, actually in verse 33, it says that they with great power, with the power of the Holy Spirit of God, they they gave a great witness of the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. They were, listen, when they were explaining the resurrection of Jesus and, and trying to tell them, listen, what they saw, that, that's the biggest thing, church. That's the, I think that that's the key in all of this, is that sometimes when we share our faith with people, we think we need to share it the way Brother Steve does or the way Sister so-and-so does. And we think we've got to have a cool story like Tony Evans had, or we think we've got to have some kind of testimony like Billy Graham had where he didn't have, want anything to do with God and he was a baseball player and all of this stuff. We think we have to be the Billy Sundays and the D.L. Moody's and the Charles Finney's and the Charles Spurgeon's, and you don't. You're called to be who you are. You need to be who you are, and you need to tell people what Jesus did for you. And when you can figure out that that is where the gospel key is, you share the death, burial, and the resurrection of Jesus, and how it affected you in your life, you will have the great power of the Holy Spirit of God. Don't try to say it with swelling words. Don't try to say it in some kind of intellectual way because you heard it explained in an intellectual way. Don't do that. Listen, we are all here to do one purpose, and that is if we've received Christ, we are now to share Christ. If we have believed on him, now we are to go out there and share Jesus Christ with everyone. And understand this, I can't win the world. You can't win the world. But together, we witness to who the Holy Spirit of God draws us to. We share the gospel with them, and then we allow God to do what only he can do. Only God can save them. Only God is the hand that's strong enough to reach down and to pull them out of their sin. But look at what it says in verse 33 again. It says, with great power gave the apostles witness of the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. But look at this. And great grace was upon them all. There's nothing that's greater than the grace of God. Nothing that's greater than the grace of God. First thing I want to talk to you about is that the beginning. If you're taking these notes down, you can just title these first things and then just put the scripture reference, but the beginning. You know, God graciously and wonderfully created all things, and then he turned around in the Garden of Eden. After he created all this wonderful creation, he turned around and told man, he said he gave man, mankind, he gave him what? Authority. He gave him dominion. He gave him rule and authority over all things. It was basically like God built this giant, beautiful home and that said, Adam, here's the keys to it. Take care of it well. Watch yourself, but do not go into that area over there. God formed everything that we see today. Everything that we can hold in our hands, everything that we look around at, everything that we breathe in, even the things that we can't see visibly but we know that's there, the oxygen, the, uh, uh, the rays of sunshine, the wonderful wind that blows through, all of those things, God created that wonderfully and fearfully. He made all of those things. But the Bible says in Colossians chapter 1, verse 16 and 17, he says, For by him were all things created that are in heaven and that are in earth. Visible and invisible, whether they be thrones or dominions or principalities or powers, all things were created by him and for him, and he is before all things, and by him all things consist. This is talking about Jesus. 
This scripture that Paul's given the church at Colossae, he's telling him everything is from and created by Jesus. All things not only are created by him because he is the beginning of all creation, not only are they created by him, but look in that verse, it says that they consist by him, that they actually continue to be. Did you know that the earth continues to rotate on its axis at its speed only because God allows it to? Do you know that the, the trees are still standing, the, the, uh, the uh, uh, valleys are still there, the mountains are still standing, all of this stuff still going on? Why? Because all things created, they're created by Jesus, all of them still consist by him. He, he, what a wonderful God that we have. He did all of that stuff. And so in the beginning, you've got to picture it as just really and truly just a blank slate. Like God did all this wonderful stuff. He created these things, and there is no sin at all. There's no sin in the world. Now, you've got to imagine for one moment. Stop and think. Now, I know that, you know, the Beatles have tried to write songs about it, and so have other people, and peace on earth, and all this stuff, and imagine this, and imagine that. But just stop for a moment and think about when this earth was created, and there was no sin in it. Think about when there was no death in it, because of no sin, there is no death. And stop and think about what a wonderful place that it must have been. In order to be a part of that creation of God, and all perfection was there. Now, here's the great thing. We, may, we will never understand what it was like. But here's a good thing. We will understand what it will be like one day, amen? See, we won't be left out on that, thank God. We will understand. But then all of a sudden, one dark blot of sin came in. One blot of sin. Sin came in until all creation. Sin did not just hover over Adam. Because he was the one that disobeyed God. Sin didn't hover over Eve only because she was deceived. Nope. Sin didn't hover over just them, but it actually hovered over all of the earth. It hovered over every creation, every tree, every plant, every animal, every beast of the field, every creeping thing that crawleth. Everything is now under the condemnation or what I would call the umbrella of sin. Every bit of it. But that doesn't change that wonderful predestinated plan that God had. God had a predestinated plan. You know what God's predestinated plan was? Not to save you and to save you and to save you and skip over you and skip over you. But God's predestinated plan was is that all things would be perfect as he created them and that they would have eternal life and it would all be found what? Through him and by him and only consist by him. But because of sin, listen, that didn't change God's plan at all. Just because people sin, now here's what people say. People go, well, God can't even look upon sin, and that's not a truth out of the Scripture. God looks upon sinful men all the time and women all the time. God looked upon sin. He looked upon Sodom and Gomorrah and said that he would destroy it. He looked upon those that were on the earth. He looked upon Noah when Noah sinned, when he got drunk off the boat. He looked upon David when David sinned. It's not that God can't look upon sin in the book of Haggai. It actually, or Habakkuk, it says that God, it says that they tell God that we know that you can't even, you don't even want to look upon sin is what that scripture says. God can look upon that. How's God going to save us if he can't see us where we are? Amen? He does look upon that, but that doesn't change him. Sin didn't change. I'm so glad for this. Now, I know that you're not excited, but I'm going to get excited. I'm going to go ahead and jump right in there. I'm so glad that sin did not change who God was. It only changed who we are, but it never changed who God was. Still, the very next day or whatever time it came in the cool of the day, he still, Brother Jack, came out there looking for Adam just like he did in days before. It didn't change who God is. Listen, God's plan 
was never changed. But the Bible says now because of sin, in that circle at the bottom, because of sin, it says all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Because of that, we are under an umbrella of condemnation. We are under this canopy of what is sin that everyone that is born on this earth is born. Listen to me now. No one is born a murderer and no one is born a liar. And this is where people got to get clarity on this. People want to sit back and they'll go, well, you know, you're born a sinner. You're born into sin. You're born a sinner. And therefore, you're born to be a murderer and you're born to be a liar and you're born to be this. I disagree with that because one reason, a lot of you, if I was to tell you, well, what do you think about homosexuality? Do you think you're born to be a homosexual? People go, well, no, we're not born to be that. Well, then you're not born to do certain sins. You're born under the condemnation and the penalty and the law of sin. That's what that means. It means that you are born underneath the canopy of bondage of sin and you are a frail and you are a fallible creation and you are in need of redemption. You are in need of saving. But what it means is, it's not that I was born to be an alcoholic and I was born to be a liar and I was born to be a fornicator and I was born to be a homosexual. I was born to, to, to kill and murder someone. That's not what it means. It means that you are born underneath the first Adam that sinned and you carry with you now in every creation and this is so difficult for people to understand because when you look at a brand new baby you go how could that be a sinful thing they're not look church look that's what's so hard and people need to understand it is that that child is in need of saving just as much as us but brother Steve what about they haven't done anything wrong and you're absolutely right and the scripture teaches us about them being safe with God The scriptures teach us about how that they come into that place where when they realize what sin is, that they realize they need a Savior. Amen. But they are born and bent toward sin. Everyone is under that condemnation. And you know what the sin is? Is Everybody's under this. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. People go, well, Job never sinned and he didn't charge God foolishly. No, but the scripture clarifies later on that all people have sinned and come short of the glory of God. We never read a scripture that says anything about Job never sinned. He never charged God and blamed God for what he was going through. But we do read one scripture that Jesus Christ, yet without sin, was tempted just like we are. Right? He's the only one that was without sin. But the Bible says all of us fall short of the glory of God. Then the next thing that happened here is that God said, all right, you don't have to draw this out yet. Don't draw this one. But God said, because of sin, what happens? When you sin, what happens? Confusion. When you sin, confusion came in. What was the first thing that Adam and Eve did? They clothed themselves. They were confused about what was going on. They were actually allowed Satan to come in and bring confusion. You say, Brother Steve, is confusion bad? Yeah, the Bible says that confusion is of Satan. The Bible says God's not the author of confusion, but of peace, as in all the churches of the saints. In the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 14, Satan's the author of confusion. And so if he's the author of confusion, what happens is, is that God needs to set us back right again. If confusion has come in and we can't realize right from wrong and our innocence in sinful creation now is taken and robbed from us and we can't figure out right and wrong, then what needs to happen? We need someone to tell us what to do. And the reason that the Ten Commandments, the reason that the law that's given is so offensive to people is because it points out what you need to do. And when you don't do it and you disobey or you break those laws, it confesses that you are wrong with God. That's why it hurts so bad. 
That's why it's so offensive. Listen, even little bitty babies, even little children, when they start to walk, they're going to grow right into disobedience. They're going to go right into it. They're going to go over there, and you're going to tell them, don't do that, and they're going to look at you like, who are you? You know what I mean? They're going to sit over here, and you're going to tell them, don't touch that, don't touch that. And look, you don't have to train them to do this. They're already going to do this. They're going to get this close to it and look at you. You know what? And then they're going to go and run. They're going to go away from it because you've told them, don't do it and don't do it, don't do it. It doesn't matter. I'm telling you, as soon as they start moving around, it happens. <laughs> Somebody needs to say amen. Y'all know what I'm talking about. So the Bible says that you have to have instructions. God said, I'm going to give this people. Listen, you know what he did in the beginning in Genesis chapter 6? Because of their sinful ways and because they could not perform and do righteous works. The Bible says that evidently God was looking down upon the earth and the only one that was looking back was Noah because the Bible says in Genesis 6 that Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. That means that Noah had to be looking in order to find grace in the eyes of the Lord. Nobody else must have been looking. Amen? But Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. But what did God do? God said, this generation is sinful and wicked. I will destroy them from off the face of the earth. And he did. He started over. But because of sin being what? That umbrella and that canopy of sin and death and the law that was contrary to them. Listen, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. Ham went out and his descendants and the Canaanites and the Babylonians and all these evil people were raised up. Uh, 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 Japheth, he had a bunch of descendants that were Roman, that were Greeks, and they were all, or Greeks and Romans, and they were all evil and wicked people. Uh, Shem had people that were great descendants and followed God, but sin was still there. And then in Exodus chapter 32, and I'm not trying to preach the whole Bible to you, but Exodus chapter 32, the Bible says that God took Moses up on top of a mount, says that he was with God, and when he was with God, he wrote with his finger laws. Why? Because he wanted this people that he had chosen out, he wanted this people to do the right thing. Now, doing the law could not bring righteousness. It could not give righteousness. The only thing that gives righteousness is faith. The Bible says that Abraham believed God, and it was accounted unto him for righteousness. Bible says that righteousness is brought by faith, but then God didn't want his people to just veer back out and to be confused because of the sinful nature that they were in, and he told them, do not covet, do not steal, do not bear false witness, do not do this, honor your father and mother, keep the Sabbath day, holy unto the Lord, do all these things, and not only are they written in 10, but there's also nearly 730 others that he told them to do. He said, when you deal with land, you make sure you pay the person, and you do not keep debt. You not hold it against him. At the 50th year, the year of Jubilee, you return that land back to that rightful owner. And he gave them all kinds of things. Why? Why did God do that? To be mean to you? That's what the modern church believes. The modern church people today believe that God wants you to not have fun. He, you believe that he doesn't want you to grow or want you to, excuse me, not grow, but go out and have a good time. That he's just got all these rules and the church, all they do is just talk about rules. And then when they talk and preach about rules and about living holy, you call that church a legalist. Then the other church that's over here way out in left field and they're doing everything that they want to and even having church services where they're smoking marijuana. Yes. And everybody, they stand around and say that God created every herb of the field and did all these things and so we're going to do all this stuff. Think about it. 
all these people, and then they go in this liberal way, and there's this big, huge confusion. God set these standards in place. Listen to me. Before you turn me off, listen to me. He set the laws in place, these things that you need in place, not as a wall to keep you away from things, but as a guardrail to save you from hurting your own self. It's not that we sit around and we talk about living holy and staying free and, and, and being pure when you get married and staying away from alcohol and staying away from these things that will alter your mind. It's not that people want to go around telling you not to have fun. And it's not that we want to say, oh, you can't handle it, we can't handle it, and all this other stuff. What it is, is that God's trying to keep you from tragedy. He's trying to keep you from a life that is ruined. He tried to do the same thing with Samson. He told Samson that he was going to be a Nazarite. He was going to be sacred and holy unto the Lord. A called out, sacred, set aside person for the Lord. Not to cut his hair. Not to drink of wine. Not to do those things. He gave all of those rules to him. But what did Samson do? He said to his father, you go down there and you get this woman for me. What's a way to talk to a father? You go get her for me. And he went and he married a woman that was not a holy and righteous of God woman. Was it because God didn't want him to have fun and didn't want him to be married? No. He could have chosen any of the women of God to have married. But he was telling him that that woman is going to turn your heart against God. And it did and it happened. Not only he, but Solomon. God told him not to do those things. In Nehemiah chapter 12, it talks about it. Not to marry those women that were serving false gods. Not to be in the New Testament unequally yoked together with one another. Amen? He told them all those things, not so they couldn't have fun or couldn't find a wife, was so that they wouldn't have their faith robbed from them and end up in the gutter or in the Philistine temple destroying that and killing yourself. It's all for a reason, church. And God gave the law. He gave the law because confusion. Listen, the Bible says in Romans chapter 3, verse 19 and 20, now we know that whatsoever things, oh, excuse me, what things soever the law saith, it saith unto them who are under the law, that every mouth may be stopped, and all the world may become guilty before God. Therefore, by the deeds of the law, there shall no flesh be justified in his sight, for by the law is the knowledge of sin. What it's saying is, is that God gave the law in order for these people to understand what sin is. That's it. And you must understand what sin is. You must understand this phrase. Please don't be guilty of saying this. What convicts you does not convict me. Because we have the same Holy Spirit of God. We have the same Holy Ghost and we should be convicted not by what we think we should be convicted by. We should be convicted by what this tells us. And the problem is this, is that people do not know this. I'm telling you the average Christian today does not know their Bible. When you talk to them in Sunday school, when you talk to them aside and you ask them, did you not know that the scriptures say this? They go into a confused mode and they don't know it. God gave you this book so that you would absorb it and take it in. And it won't happen like this, just soaking in by osmosis. It won't happen by just thinking about it. And it doesn't happen. Listen, this is where we got to understand. It doesn't happen by coming on Sunday morning, Sunday night, and Wednesday night. No, it's got to be more. This book's got to be your life. This book, if this, listen, if we believe that he gave his life for us, why can we not read his book that he left us? If we trust him enough to save us, to take us to a place called heaven, and to redeem our souls from sinfulness, and to redeem our souls and save us from hell, why can't we read his book? 
Why can't we read his Bible, his book that he's given to us? It doesn't take that much of your time. It doesn't take that much of your studies. Just read the book. As, as old, uh, uh, Fred Luter put it one time, when a friend of mine, a, a black preacher friend of mine from New Orleans, he said, read the script. He said, read the script. Read the script. That's what we need to do more and more. He says that the law was to show you that you are a sinner. But then the Bible says that there was going to be a penalty for our sins. This is what you draw, a penalty for our sin. Now, before you picture Jesus on that, please erase that from your mind right now. Before you picture him on there, understand that that symbol was not something that was accustomed to joy and happiness and peace and especially victory in the days where Jesus walked. When you saw the image of the cross, when you walked into villages, those people that were murderers, and they would behead them, and they would take and decapitate them and place their heads upon crosses or upon poles outside of the villages in order to tell all the people that were thinking about doing that when they came into this village, it was a deterrence in order for them to stop doing that or not even to think about it. When he thought about the cross before Jesus died on the cross and was resurrected, listen, before he was ever out of the grave, that cross never had any kind of joy that it brought the disciples. That cross from those three days that he was in the grave, that cross, Brother Reggie, meant everything horrible, everything wretched, every plan that they thought was put into motion, they were destroyed by that cross. It would be like wearing an electric chair or a needle today around our neck. It would be like wearing the, uh, the death chair, you know, and where they lethally inject them and doing that. No one does that. Why? Because the cross was always, for the Romans, a symbol of judgment. It was always a symbol of that when you did wrong, you are going to be tried for your wrong. When you did wrong, leave it, even in Gehenna, the Bible talks about the word hell, Gehenna. It was a valley, the Hennon Valley that was beside Jerusalem, the mountain. Even when they stole and they would take their arms and cut their arms off, or that the people that were the peeping toms that were adulterers or perverts and they would gouge their eyes out and they would pull and pluck their eyes out and throw them in that valley over there that was a garbage dump. Jesus even told them it would be better for you to go into heaven with one eye, you know what I mean, than to die and go to hell into but with, uh, with both of them, right? He was talking about that same image and they would take their eyes out or take their arms or their limbs off of their body. It was never a sign of hope or joy, and neither was the cross. It was a sign that you deserve what you got because you did wrong. Do you remember the thief on the cross, and he told the Lord to remember me when you come into your kingdom? Everybody remember that? Do you also remember what he said before that? He looked at the other one and said, we indeed justly get what we are deserving. Because you know what he knew, what that cross stood for was that we're suffering for the penalty of our own sin. And that's what the cross meant. Listen, Jesus went to that cross. All of creation was underneath that canopy and that penalty, that bondage of sin. The Bible says that the wages of sin is death. The wages of sin, the payment and the penalty for that is death. When the seed, this is what I picture, when the seed of sin was planted... In the beginning, it grew like this huge tree and just covered everybody. And everyone was underneath that. And there was no peace with God. Man or woman did not have peace and relationship with God. And so God gave the law and there had to be a sacrifice. Someone had to pay the penalty 
four that's in one of my favorite movies is the national treasure movies i don't know if you like them but i love the national treasure movies one and two and and one of those things this guy was trying to to get out of having to go to jail and one of the phrases that the man told me said well somebody has to go to jail you know someone's gonna have to go you know and that's exactly whenever god gave the law he said someone's gonna have to die blood is going to have to be shed and so what would happen is as Heath would bring that animal and, and he would place his hand on him and the blood that was shed, he, that animal was dying for the sins of Heath and his family. And so something had to be done. And the Bible says that we all are deserving of death. You ever been in a church service where one of our older saints of God stood up and testified and they said, I deserved, I was on my way, headed to hell, and I deserved to die, lost without the Lord. I deserved hell. You know, I can remember when I first got saved thinking, what are they talking about, man? Surely no one wants to talk about deserving hell. We were all, when you realize the lostness of our condition, when you realize the sinfulness of who we were, listen, we were all deserving of what, what we did wrong because we were all sinners, none. Righteous, no, not one. All sin that comes short of the glory of God. The wages of sin is death. But look, but look, the gift. The gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. And I was sitting there that day, and Brother Bill wasn't even preaching on this. He was preaching about having the Spirit of God. And I wrote these things down. And all of a sudden, I saw this image of the cross. I saw how if it were not for sin, church, listen to me, out of sin grew the greatest grace that we know. Out of sin grew what? The curse of the law. The Bible says that cursed is every man that hangeth from a tree. And what he was talking about was that out of sin, because of sin and the seed, it grew up and it grew up and it grew up. And I can imagine that big tree growing up and there eventually the branches are cut off and it's formed into a cross. And there's the curse. The curse is what? Death, death, death. Guilty, guilty, guilty. Sinner is who we are. But then all of a sudden the Bible says that Salvation comes through Jesus Christ. Salvation. And if you look at that, if you're standing where I am, his right side, his right arm. And I, people go, was that the side that the thief was on the cross? No, the Bible doesn't. It's not clear on that. The Bible says that there was one on the right and one on the left. It doesn't say which one called out from which side. As much as you want to try to think that we know that, there's no scripture to prove that. And so we really don't need to share that side of the story. But listen, God gave his son as our payment for our sins. He laid down his life. And when you look at this, the reason I chose the right side is because of this. Psalms chapter 98 verse 1 says, Oh, sing unto the Lord a new song, for he hath done marvelous things. His right hand, his holy arm, hath gotten him the victory. Listen, the Bible says in Isaiah 53, Who hath believed our report? And to whom is the arm of the Lord revealed? If you search in the scriptures, you'll understand that as a king, that God is. In his right hand was his scepter. His right arm was what? His authority and his power. Everything that he had. The Bible describes in Isaiah 53, it is one of the greatest scriptures, Brother Jack, about who? About Jesus. It's the greatest Old Testament prophecy about him 
being grief-stricken and with sorrows and was beaten and he was placed upon the cross and that his visage was marred and that he couldn't even tell it was a man. He was led to the slaughter, dumb before his shears, all those things. But at the beginning of it, Brother Boat says, Who hath believed our report and to whom is the arm of the Lord revealed? And David said in Psalms that the right hand of God, the arm of the Lord has sustained our victory. And what it is, church, is that he flung stars off of his fingertips. He took the rivers and valleys and carved them in the palm of his hand, the scripture says. David said, oh, how mighty are thy works. How marvelous are thy works before me, O God. All these things he did with his hands. But to give his son, he gave all authority. He gave all everything to what? To Satan to try to destroy and to try to corrupt and to try to bring down. And there's Jesus in the wilderness. He's being tempted by Satan. And three times he rebukes him, tells him to go away, amen. The arm of the Lord, the righteous arm of God, amen. It's Jesus. He's the one that has saved us. It was, his, it was with his authority and with his power, amen. The Bible says that salvation is through Jesus. Here's the other thing. It's that after we know that Jesus reached out to save us, amen, he has now brought us to God. He has brought us together with the Lord. He, the Bible says that there's only one man who has reconciled us unto God, and that is the Lord Jesus. Amen? And listen, what did he do? He said, if I go away, he went away, he went up. If I go away, I will send a comforter. I will send the Holy Spirit, and he will teach you all things, and you will know all things. Listen, the Bible says in 2 Corinthians chapter number 1, verse 21 and 22, on that part of this, this little uh, chart, says, now he which established us with you in Christ and hath anointed us is God, who hath sealed us, amen, or also sealed us and given us the earnest of the Spirit in our hearts. Jesus said, listen, I'm giving you a down payment of promise. They stood there in Acts chapter 1 verse 11 looking up. And they, the angels, they were locked watching Jesus go up. And the angels that were standing there told him, Brother Craig said, hey, why are you standing here gazing? You know, the same Jesus you see going away is coming again in like manner. Amen. And what did he do? He sent the Holy Spirit of God to give them the earnest money or the earnest promise, amen, to say, hey, I'm not leaving you. I'm actually coming back. And here, I'm going to give this to you in order for you to hold on to the promise. Now, that, man, that's good. If, if we were at a camp meeting tonight, they'd be hauling around the church. That if we were at church of God, they'd be running around. Amen. Because why? The Holy Ghost of God. God gave us a part of Him. You know why? Because in the Old Testament, the Holy Spirit of God was upon people. That's why the Holy Spirit of God left King Saul in the Old Testament, because he was on the, he was on the outside of him. Amen? But the Bible says in the New Testament that the Holy Spirit of God came inwardly. He came inside of us. Amen? Listen, He stays with us. Just like the Holy Spirit of God descended upon Jesus in the form of a dove, and it says it abode upon Him or dwelt upon Him, it means that it stayed there with Him. Hey, think about it. Church, the Holy Spirit of God, is He's the one, He's the earnest of it all. Listen to what Ephesians says underneath that, also on that chart. It says, In whom also you trusted. After that you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also after that you believed, you were sealed with that Holy Spirit of promise. You may, you may bring up some stuff I've done, and you'd probably be right. You may bring up some sinful things that I have done, in my past, maybe even in the present, I'm going to tell you something. You'll never be able to talk my salvation away from me. 
you'll never be able to talk me out of heaven or to talk me into hell. You'll never be able to do that. I've learned that for years and years is that when people die, most everyone wants them to have a great funeral. You can't preach people into heaven and you can't preach them into hell and you can't preach them out of either one of them either. Amen. It is our faith, our testimony in Jesus Christ. When we receive him, we are sealed. Amen. We are sealed and we are going to him. Listen, here's the last thing. Now that we have the salvation, it's pretty easy. And I'm not, like I said, I'm not trying to reinvent the wheel. This is what I drew. We have salvation through Jesus. We have the Spirit of God that's come from above, and that helps us to reach up to God. But then now we've got service. We go out and we labor for the Lord. Do you know what our labor is? Let me, let me clarify this for you. Laboring is not preaching, is not teaching Sunday school, it's not doing those things. No, our labor for the Lord and our service for the Lord is to minister to people by sharing the gospel with them. We are to minister to people. We are all called to be ministers, or we're called to be ambassadors, the Bible says. 2 Corinthians 5, verse 20 says, Now then, we are ambassadors for Christ, as though God did beseech us by you. We pray you in Christ's stead, be you reconciled to God. I want to go back. I want you to look at this picture. And I want you to understand that sin is what caused Jesus to be on the cross of Calvary for all of our sins, to pay that penalty for us. But because of that, look, he reaches out to us in salvation. He reaches, it's like you can see him reaching up to God with the Holy Spirit, and we are connected to the Lord now. We have access to the Lord. And then, I want you to look at it, I want you to think about the hands of Jesus that stretched out. As he stretched his life out on that, and if he reaches across in salvation to us, he is also, listen, we're reaching out to people all the time. And this is the image that I have in my mind. This is the way my brain operates, and y'all know how small that it is. But... If God's got me in his hand, and I'm in the hand of Jesus, and he's in the hand of God, I'm not holding on to him. He's got me, okay? He's got me. I'm holding on to faith. I'm holding on to scripture, but he's got me, okay? But my whole point is, is I'm trying to reach for Keith, and I'm reaching out for him. To do what? Not to let him hold on to my hand, but no, to bring him together with him, bring him together with Christ. But I'm trying to pull. And all I can think about, listen, that day, Brother Bill, when you were speaking, all I could think about was people that are in a pit and they're in sin. Think about people, some of those miners and stuff that were trapped in those mines and holes. And thinking about people like we saw a couple of weeks ago in Panama City making this huge chain in order to get these human chain, to get these people out of the ocean because they foolishly went out there, no doubt. But thank God people didn't go, well, they got out there, let's let them figure it out. Although they were foolish in doing what they were doing and they shouldn't have done that, still people were willing to do what? To reach out. And listen, that's what we're doing. We're supposed to do. We're supposed to reach out in ministering and in service and being an ambassador for the Lord. And when you look at that, you'll understand what grace is. If you see that whole picture, you'll know what grace is. Listen, the grace of God... The law grew from the curse of sin, but through the law, the greatest grace and love that we've ever known has come to us. The Bible says in Romans chapter 5 and verse number 20, where sin abound, grace did much more abound. Where sin abounded, grace did much more abound. I want you to listen to something that, it's a song that may be lost among a lot of the churches today. It doesn't mean that it has to be. But it's a song that I think that uh, has some very, very deep roots of theology. And I'll probably mess it up. But it says this. 
Marvelous grace of our loving Lord, grace that exceeds our sin and our guilt, yonder on Calvary's mount outpoured, there where the blood of the Lamb was spilled. Grace, grace, God's grace, Grace that will pardon and cleanse within. Grace, grace, God's grace. Grace that is greater than all our sin. Listen. Dark is the stain that we cannot hide. What can avail? To wash it away. Look, there is flowing a crimson tide. Whiter than snow you may be today. Marvelous, infinite, matchless grace. It's freely bestowed on all who believe. All who are longing to see His face, will you this moment His grace receive? If you know it, stand and sing it with me. Grace, grace, God's grace, grace that will pardon, grace that will pardon and cleanse within grace, 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 God's grace, grace that is greater than all our sins. Sing it again. Grace, God's grace. Grace that will pardon and cleanse within. Amen. Grace, grace, God's grace. Grace that is greater than all our sin. That is greater than all our sin. Grace that is greater than all our sin. If you would, let's bow our heads. If you're here tonight and you think that the grace of God cannot reach you where you are, you're wrong. You're mistaken. God's grace is great. God's grace is wonderful. With great grace, the apostles, great power, they witnessed of the resurrection. And great grace was upon those who heard them in the church. God's grace is great enough to reach all of us. What a wonderful story of God's grace. Listen, if you tonight...